good, um, especially if you're a little bit younger. Um, if you trend young in the room, you might have heard of Taylor Swift. Yes? Um, well, Taylor Swift um, might be one of the most popular um, and successful sing singer-songwriters of our day. Um, she has released four, consider this, four consecutive albums in a row have sold more than one million in the first week. Um, five of her songs on one album, the 1989, an album titled 1989, um, five, of the five of the songs on that album all hit number one. Usually you're lucky if one of them gets number one, but five songs on that album hit number one for her. Um, she's won a Grammy twice. She was the first female solo act to win a Grammy twice. So yeah, pretty successful, I would say. Um, well, uh, Miss Swift wrote a song titled King of My Heart. Now, it's really dark out there, so if I ask you to raise your hands, I might not be able to see you, so I'm not going to do that today. Um, but some of you might have heard of this song. She writes a song called King of My Heart. Did you know that we actually sing a song at our church called King of My Heart? Um, they're different songs, same title. So whenever I, you know how I look for the videos for you and I share them with you and we're singing a song so that you can get to know the song better. Whenever I Google King of My Heart, she's, that's always the song that comes up first. And I have to be like, okay, King of My Heart, Christian. I get to Google it like that to find the right one. Well, she writes in this song, she, this is the, basically the chorus. She says, and all at once, you are the one I've been waiting for, King of My Heart. And all at once, you are all I want. I'll never let you go, King of My Heart. And all at once, I've been waiting. So these lyrics, without hesitation, sort of, and without shame, just admit openly that romance is enthroned on her heart. Now, whether or not that's true of her, these just could, just for her, could be a song that she sang. It might not be true of her. But she's certainly identifying with a great many people in our culture who operate to the orders of a king enthroned on your heart centered around human romance, love. She's not alone in this sentiment, is, it? is she? And how, how many of us, if we were really honest, either now or at some point in our lives have bowed our knee to this king? How committed we can be, devoted we are, to follow this desire of the heart to be in love, right? Friends, what I want to announce to you all this morning on this fourth Sunday of Advent, is that the child born in the manger 2,000 years ago, he alone is the king of heaven, he alone is the king of earth, and as such, he should rule our hearts as well. And if he doesn't, we will only know chaos, disappointment, and darkness. He's the only adequate king who has the right to rule over us, body, soul, and spirit. So many of us don't realize this, we seek something to serve, to make sense of the, the dysfunction of our own thinking and lives at times. So we find something, we look to something to help us. And those things are our kings. Jesus Christ was born that you <clears throat> and I might dethrone all of the phony, pretend kings that are inadequate to rule us and give us peace. Christ was born so that we might realize that he alone is the king of kings and that we might dethrone 
all of the fake ones that we once thought were real. He's the Prince of Peace. And friends, if you're going to know peace, he must reign in your heart, all of your life. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, you, we all know this, I think, if you've been around church long enough. For unto us a child is born, and a son is given, and his name shall be called Mighty God, Prince of Peace. The King of Peace. What a great title that is. Our, our own text, that if, if you heard Wilfred, that's, that was basically our sermon text as well this morning. Um, in verse 11, it's the angels declare that the Savior, the Messiah, has been born. And the Messiah is a title for royalty. Friends, Jesus is the answer. He's all we need. You don't need money, you don't need power, and you don't need a miracle. See, what I mean by that so often is like we find ourselves in trouble in life. where it's, It might be financial, or it might be health, something might be going on. And we think, oh, I need a miracle. You need a miracle, but not of what you think it might be for. Oh, friends, what we need is our dead heart to be resurrected. Not a dead bank account or a dead job or a dead relationship. We need life in Christ. We need the King of Kings. And his unending, unquenchable love is what we need. This wonderful um, saying was given to us by St. Augustine. 1,700 years ago he lived. He wrote this, and how beautiful is this? Hear this. He said, I threw myself upon the beautiful things that you made. They were my kings, right? The oceans and the stars and power, relationships. I threw myself on the beautiful things that you had made. You were with me, but I was not with you. Keeping me far from you were those very things which, if they did not exist in you, would not exist at all. You called. You overcame my deafness. You touched me. And I burned with longing for your peace. You see, friends, keeping us so often far from God are the things that he made. Things that, if he didn't make them, they wouldn't even exist. How profound is that? We replace God with his stuff. And if it weren't for him, that stuff wouldn't even be there. How foolish can we be? So this morning, if you're wondering why peace eludes you, perhaps it's because God's good things sit on the throne of your heart rather than the creator of those things. My guess is that we've all been after peace. We've aimed uh, to answer our own lingering doubts, our darkness within. Forget about all the stuff outside of us, just the stuff in us. Sometimes we think we're not loved or that there's something wrong with us. We have these deep, broken insecurities within. And I suppose most of us have spent a lot of time trying to deal with that and provide our soul deeply, internally, with the peace that we know should be there. So what we do is we set out the task to enthrone things. Maybe a new relationship, a sexual experience, marriage or children. And these become our daily motivation. But friends, there's only one king. And he's the king of kings. He's the prince of heaven and earth. And he is the only one that belongs as captain of your heart. His beautiful things cannot satisfy you. 
he can satisfy you. So today, I would like to demonstrate this morning that three things, that Jesus is king, I would like to describe his kingdom, and I want to show you at the end why it matters. Okay, Very simple, very easy, and we'll be out of here looking at you split. And I hope that the Holy Spirit reveals to you something new and powerful about God's love for you. Okay, So Christ alone is king. Let's talk about this for a little while. That Jesus is Lord and king of all creation, the God of heaven and earth, is the unquestionable and constant message of Scripture. Not just God, of course that is, that, that is who God is, King of all things. Jesus. Jesus is God in Scripture. He's God in the flesh, the Word made flesh. This is the, the constant message of all the Bible. And we have all throughout Scripture the witness and the testimony of the prophets, of the Gospels, of the apostles, and at the very end of the book of the Bible, it's the conclusion that Jesus is Lord. In Daniel chapter 7, we have this witness of the prophets. In verses 13 and 14, Daniel, prophet Daniel said, I saw, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. The New Testament writers describe this son of man image in Daniel as Jesus. And to him, what was given? The United States? Greenland? No. It was given to him dominion and glory and kingdom that all peoples and all nations and all languages should serve him and his dominion shall not pass away. His kingdom shall not be destroyed. His kingdom, his rule is all-inclusive. There is not one square inch of this earth that is not included and the righteous and gracious reign of Jesus Christ. He owns every planet, every star, and every hair on your head. He is king. This is the witness of Scripture. But we also have the witness of the Gospels. That is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They testify to this too. We saw this morning the angels praising Jesus in our text, calling him Messiah, or the Anointed One. That's the translation of Messiah. Messiah is the Anointed One. In the Old Testament, that's the first half of the Bible, prophets would anoint kings of Israel. It was a sort of affirmation that God had approved of this person, chosen this person to be the earthly king of Israel. And all of these earthly kings, small k, were little messiahs, point, pointing to the promised chief messiah that would come to save not only Israel, but all nations. The only king, the king of kings, all these little anointed kings were pointing forward to the chief messiah, the anointed one. The gospel writers constantly remind us that Jesus is the ultimate and final king of the universe. Matthew chapter 25 verses 31 through 46, I'm just going to read a portion but it, but it talks about this right of the Son of Man in full. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom. And then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels." One of the points of this passage is to, to demonstrate to us is that Jesus has ultimate and final authority. 
There is not someone that sits in judgment of him. He is the one that sits in judgment. The witness of the prophets, the witness of the gospels. But how about the apostles, the, the disciples, the people that knew him and followed him around? Paul's testimony to Jesus as king is clear. And what a wonderful passage we see here in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 15. Listen to these amazing words. At just the right time, Christ will be revealed from heaven. It's kind of like Matthew, the one that we just read, right? When the Son of Man comes in his glory, when he's revealed. At just the right time, Christ will be revealed from heaven. The King of all kings and Lord of all lords, he alone can never die, so his rule is forever. And all honor and power are given to him forever. Amen. What an amazing testimony from the Apostle Paul about who Jesus Christ is. So who is this baby born in the manger? Oh, friends, if he was just another baby, maybe even a miraculous one, maybe one that came um, by this claim of virginity, that wouldn't really matter much to us unless he was king of kings. Because if he's king of kings, it means he's savior of saviors. He has the authority, the right, the privilege to save us and to rescue us from the doom within. How about the, this romantic and wonderful conclusion that is the conclusion of the Bible? Some people suggest that the main theme of all of the scriptures is that Jesus is king and that the conclusion is the book of Revelation. And the conclusion is simply this, the king has come. He is, in chapter 1, verse 5, the ruler of the kings of the earth. He sits on the throne of heaven, receiving worship from all the hosts of heaven and earth. You want to you wanna have the hair stand on your head? Read Revelation chapter 5 if you want to know who Jesus Christ is. The, at the end of the book of Revelation, in chapter 19, he judges and ends all injustice with the word from his mouth. He speaks and it ends when Christ returns. Revelation chapter 5, verse 5 says this, And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the king has conquered. What dries our tears, friends? When we're in trouble, when we're anxious, when we're lonely, what gives us peace? The king has conquered. The G Jesus Christ, the king of kings, is what can give your restless soul the peace it craves. And only there. The unwavering confession of all the Bible is that Jesus, that baby born in a manger, is king of heaven and earth. Is he king of you? Oh, friends, is he king of your heart? The overseer of your will? The master of your passion? The lord of your desires? The director of your hopes and dreams? Does he lead you or do you lead him? Does he lead you or do you use him? To get what you want. Oh friend, come to him. You want peace, surrender your heart and life to the only king that can give it to you. But what's his kingdom like? Talked about it a little bit, but I want to talk about it a little more because this is important. We're suggesting that he is king of all things, <clears throat> that this is the Bible's unwavering testimony. But is he really a better king than the ones we make? Let's talk about this. Let's describe his kingdom. Jesus is king simply doesn't mean that he's boss, like he's King Kong or Godzilla. 
and that we just got to keep him happy so he stays off our back so that we can live our lives and eat bread, right? He's not just the boss, though he is. The Bible teaches that because Jesus is king of kings and possesses all authority, that we can have the assurance of salvation. If he didn't have these things, we would have no assurance of eternal life. That this world, because he's king, will be ultimately purged of injustice. Isn't that great? We don't got to trust the politician to do that for us. Now, I'm not saying we're apathetic. I'm not saying that we don't work towards justice in a fair society. But friends, who can bring it but the king of kings? And that's who we trust to do it. And he can do it, and he's promised to do it, and he will do it. You see, friends, this world, when Christ comes, is purged of all injustice and that every lie and enemy is promised to be conquered. Friends, he is not just sovereign. He is savior. He's rescuer. He's deliverer. Isn't that good news? So Christ's kingdom is a threefold kingdom. There are three, three things, three ways that we can describe it. It is a kingdom of power, right? A kingdom of grace and a kingdom of glory. Power, grace, and glory. That's the way that, we, that the Bible from beginning to end describes Christ's kingdom. So let's talk about this a little more. Christ's kingdom of power. Jesus Christ possesses unlimited, absolute power and authority. So that no one can interfere with his will, no one can stop his will. He is the creator in John chapter 1 verse 3 and verse 10 in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 2 in the book of Colossians. He created all things. And no one could say, hey, creator, don't create. I'm going to stop you from doing that. No one can interfere with his will because he has ultimate authority and power. He Not only did he create all things, but the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 1 that he preserves all things. So he didn't just make us to work and then like, like almost like a wind-up clock. Now you can set it down and you, you can ignore it. And it will just do its thing, like, it, like I designed it to do. No, the Bible says that the world, for it to exist as it does, requires that Jesus continually be holding it together. That's the power of Christ. Consider the implications of this, friends. That the hands that we nailed to a cross, that if he so chose, could disintegrate those nails in a moment. All of the, the laws and principles and properties of the material universe that he was holding together in his divine mind, the moments that he was crucified in an instant could just all be whisked away. And we would turn into a pile of dust. And the only one that would be left standing would be him. But he didn't do that. Because his is not just a kingdom of power, it's a kingdom of grace. That means that the powerful ones will was not to destroy us, but to save us. Amen. That's his purpose. That's the unbelievable purpose of the mind of God. Why he created us, knowing that we would fall and be separated from him because of sin, rather than just destroying us the moment that, that we did it, he, gives, he is patient with us so that we might be saved. The divine purpose of Jesus' kingdom is love. That's his purpose, to save and to restore what is lost and dead. It is 
the kingdom of grace. His heart's desire, his purpose, his divine will is so that you will be reunited in a union of love with your God. Not a union of love with some man or some woman, some idea or principle, so that you would know him and what is the surpassing greatness of his love in Ephesians 1. You know, remember Jesus, how he taught us how to pray? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, restore us. Restore this world to what it was intended to be. To be united with the loving care of the Father and not rebelling against it. You see, all the evil and dysfunction of this world, the reason we need militaries, and we need, the reason we go to wars, the reason we have police, is because we are at war with God. We've rejected the king, and we've served another. And God, in his infinite kindness and grace and love for us, because his kingdom is of grace, not just of power, decreed to save us, to solve our greatest problem. Isn't that good news? So your kingdom come, Lord. Your will be done in the heart. God's king, Christ's kingdom of grace begins in you. Isn't that great? It's not some, some ethereal kind of otherworldly cloud somewhere like the land of Oz. And we think of God's kingdom of grace being like that. The Bible says in Luke chapter 17 that the kingdom of grace is in the heart first. The kingdom of God is within you, Jesus said. And we learn in other places in Ephesians chapter 2 and John chapter 3 that the, the way that the kingdom of God is in us, that it's birthed in us by grace through faith. No one can enter into the kingdom of God unless he is born again. That is, we are given eyes to see that Jesus is Lord and Savior, and we trust him to that end. You see, friends, when we have saving faith in Christ, his kingdom of love is born in us, in Luke 17. Isn't that great news? Oh, and by the way, his kingdom of grace begins in the heart, but it's also without partiality. You don't have to be the prettiest, right? There is no merit in God's kingdom of grace. He's not, he does not base his forgiveness on your age or your class or your sex or your status. It is unmerited and without partiality. There is no racism in God. There is no prejudice in him. Galatians chapter 3 verse 28 reads that there is neither Jew nor Greek nor slave nor free nor male nor female. This exhaustive list of all the categories that we set up as to say like this one's better than that one and we should prefer that one over this one because of these reasons. That is not how God's kingdom of grace operates. It is unmerited favor. God saves us by grace through faith out of the kindness of his will. Not because he sees anything in us that deserves his kindness or grace. So God's love for you, friends, it's not based on your competence. It's not based on whether or not you're an influencer on Instagram, right? It's not based on your sex appeal, how good you look in a bikini. Isn't that good news? <laughs> the one and only prerequisite 
Let's move on. <laughs> the one and only prerequisite to entrance in his kingdom is faith. Believe him, and he'll save you. The kingdom of grace is in the heart. The kingdom of grace is without partiality, and the kingdom of grace is now. It's not in some future nebulous that exists somewhere else. It begins here and now. Jesus Christ broke heaven into earth, into time. The Bible says in the book of Revelation, where is heaven? We always think of heaven as some far-off galaxy, sort of floating around in this kind of like non-body, ethereal kind of state, right? Like some kind of spirit thing. That's where we, that's where we go when we die. You know what scripture says th th about that? Where, where, where do you go when you die? You go to earth. But Jesus is earth. Jesus has recreated earth. Jesus is earth where the Bible says in Revelation that the heaven, the new, it calls it New Jerusalem, comes down and plants itself on the earth. Eternity is heaven and earth kissing. See, friends? But this begins now. John chapter 10, verses 28 and 29 says that by grace through faith, God's people are right now in the hand of God. Now, I got this, this, this um, illustration when I was a kid. I, I always remembered it, never forget it. It doesn't say we're on his hand, like that. If we were on his hand, you could fall off, right? It doesn't say we're under it, right, on the side of it. It says we're in it, like this. That means that for anything to get to you, it's got to go through the hand. It's got to go through the sovereign, good, loving, kind hand of your Father and Creator. Nothing that's happening to you in your life isn't intended for, to bring you closer to the eternal day when you see Him face to face. You see, that's the hand that you're in. But more than that, because we know that we are in His hand, the moment we have faith in Christ, we know that His kingdom is now. It's not later. It's not when we die. It begins today, the moment you have faith. Consider, um, maybe it's hard to do this nowadays, but you're going out to eat with some family and friends, and you're sitting, you're waiting for your meal, and you see a little girl approach your table, and she looks at you with an angry face, and she says, you all need to leave right now. You probably maybe would be a little offended. Get out of here, kid. Beat it. You know, maybe it, may, maybe it would make you laugh. No doubt, though, if you were me, you would eat another mozzarella stick. Like nothing happened, right? No, but consider, though, that if to change the little girl into a police officer, a police officer sort of walks in off the cold, snowy road, opens the door, walks to your table, looks at you, and says, come with me, sir. Uh, you'd probably start getting really nervous. What did I do? What's going on? Who died? You might, but no doubt you would get up. Why? Because it's not a little girl anymore. It's someone with active, real, present authority. You see, that police officer used to be a baby. They used to be a child. But that, that child had no authority yet. It was given to them later. See, it's that present authority that matters in a situation like that. Isn't that true? See, friends, Jesus Christ right now has present authority over all this world and over you and I. So that means when he says that when we're in his hand, that we're in the kingdom of God. We're in his, we're under his rulership, 
under his authority. Nothing can happen to us unless he decides it's okay. The kingdom of God is now. King Jesus has unlimited presence and unending authority because he is king now. Philippians chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 1, all of the Bible picture Christ as seated on a throne at the right hand of God in heaven, where all and full authority is given to him. See, friends, Christ is king of all. He doesn't become king later when he beats up Satan. He's already done that. He has unlimited presence and unending authority. Christ's kingdom of grace is in the heart. It is without partiality. It begins the moment you have saving faith in Jesus Christ in your heart. And it's instructive to us. If Jesus Christ is king, and is, if his kingdom is of grace, then we have the freedom and the, the beautiful duty to love, follow, and obey him in all points. Because he is king. We are responsible to him. You say, I don't like that. What gives him the right to boss me around, right? Like, friends, something is bossing you around. Something is ruling your heart. Or maybe it's keeping up with that guy at work because you want to be seen in your workplace as the most competent and successful person. That idea, that's bossing you around. And you know, how many people need freedom from that? Freedom to just work for the sake of work and being happy in doing it. You see, something's ruling your heart. You got a boss. Isn't there a song you got to serve somebody? I don't remember it. It's old. That's right, Bob Dylan. You got to serve somebody. <laughs> That's pretty good, right? Thank you. You see, friends, one of Jesus' beautiful creation. One of his good things will be your king, or he will. You've got to make your choice. It will either be the king, Jesus, who is always good, always just, possesses all power, pledges to save us by his own blood, dying for us, promises to save everything else, everything that's wrong with you and me and the world that we're in. It can be him, or it can be love. It could be romance. It could be a man or a woman, a husband, a wife. Oh, what a, what, a, what a greater king we have and how often we trade him. So he is the king. His kingdom is of grace, but it's also of glory. Christ's kingdom is of power, it is of grace, and it is of glory. Let me explain to you what I mean here. I said just a moment ago, Christ's kingdom is now, but there is an aspect that is, that is, the fullness of it is not yet realized. There's a part of his kingdom that is coming yet, that has not come. If his kingdom of grace is in you now by faith, it is yet to come, finally and fully. Friends, Jesus rose from the dead, sat down at the right hand of God, he claimed full authority over all things. And though all things are not as they should be right now, they will be. Amen. Because he's coming back. Amen. And when he does, I'm not giving you a lot of texts right now, or scripture to prove this. Read the book of Revelation. That's what this is all about. 
When he does, he's going to banish all sin. He's going to throw death into the second death, into the lake of fire. And he's going to banish death. He's going he's gonna to throw away all of the darkness and all of the brokenness into that same lake of fire. And he'll forever remove it from our experience. Isn't that great news? That's the kingdom of glory. When Christ comes, this is what he accomplishes for us. His kingdom of glory to come is when heaven, that new Jerusalem, the where the presence of God, in other words, comes, descends to earth, and rests on earth. The kingdom of glory is that moment when his people are made, all of us, to live in his presence, clothed with his righteousness and goodness. Because we, we had none of it. We worshipped everything but him, and we, we, were, we were covered with nothing but sin and wickedness. But God clothes that moment when he clothes us in righteousness and makes us to live in his presence forever. And when it's when the king weds the bride. You see, right now, we exist in an age when we're engaged, but the, the wedding ceremony hasn't happened yet. When Christ comes, it happens. Perfect union with the God of love, eternal life. Friends, the kingdom of glory is that moment yet to come when every knee will bow and tongue confess that Jesus is Lord, Philippians chapter 2. The Bible's promise is that the most hardened and angry skeptic of Christ will look at him and say, Lord. See, the Bible's promise also is that some will be on his left and some will be on his right. And though, though those on his left will say, Lord, they'll be forever separated from him. And an eternal, unending separation that the Bible so often calls hell. And it's so needless because all we need to do is say yes now. Trust him now. The kingdom of glory is when this happens. No longer is his lordship opposed, but everything and everyone surrenders to it. It says this in the book of Revelation, the end. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared. Isn't that good? All the, the, the junk, the stuff that's just wrong that we know is just in our gut, shouldn't be here. Now it's not. And the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice shout from the throne. Who's that? It's Jesus. Look, God's home is now among his people, he will live with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever because he's king, because of what he did. You know what the Bible says? This is how we'll end. Why does this matter? Jesus possesses authority. This is the message of Scripture in Ephesians chapter 1 and 2 and Philippians chapter 2. The reason Jesus this, possesses this authority is because he obeyed the Father's will to save his people. He took on sin and death at the cross and earned his glory in a way that we never could. 
so that he inherited all the power of God as a man. Oh, friends, the reason this matters is because our King, our Lord, can save us. And every other supposed phony king that we've trusted and followed can't. Oh, and I hope that you'll come to him. Who's your king, friend? Can it give you? Has it given you what it's promised? Did that thing make you? Did that thing come to this earth to die for you? Will it always? Maybe it satisfies you for a moment, but will it always? Will it never let you down? Is it, an inade- is it an adequate sacrifice for you and for your sin? Will it die for you? I'd like to suggest that the peace that your soul is after, friend, is only found in Jesus Christ the King, the one who made you, the one who holds the water of the earth in the hollow of his hands, the one who has the hairs on your head counted, the one who's been by your side your whole life and you've not, you just have not known it. Oh, but so isn't it true, like Augustine, keeping us far from him for those things which, if they did not exist in him, wouldn't exist at all. Oh, that those things wouldn't keep us from him anymore. I'm going to ask you all to examine your hearts, to ask yourself this important question. Is there something or someone that needs to be dethroned in your life? What is it? Maybe it's an idea. Maybe it's a desire. Maybe, maybe it's an ambition that's been ruling you. Maybe that thing needs to come crashing down. You need to dethrone it and put Jesus in that throne. Come to him, friends. All of us. This message isn't just for people who don't know Jesus yet. If you're a Christian, you know that you need to do this every single day. Because we are so tempted after Christ has sat on the throne to push him off and put something else there again. Isn't that true? So come to him, friends. The Prince of Heaven. Friends, if he were not Lord and King, then his death and birth wouldn't mean anything. But he is. He would just be another ancient sage, another wise person that gave us something to think about to live a better life. But he's more than that. He's the King of Heaven and Earth and our Savior. He's more than just another child. He's God in the flesh. He's our creator, the king who oversees, loves, directs, and establishes his kingdom of grace. Come to him this moment, all of you, as your king. He is the only solution for your heart and for this world. There's nothing else that can save us from our problem. And maybe we can sing Miss Swift's song, but just not direct it to a person. Maybe we can direct it to the Lord Jesus Christ. All at once, you are the one I've been waiting for. You are all I want, King of my heart. Let's do some dethroning and enthroning. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, oh, what a wonderful verse that we read in that classic Christmas hymn. So bring him incense, gold, and myrrh. Come, peasant king, to own him. The king of kings salvation brings. 
Let loving hearts enthrone him. Raise, raise a song on high. The virgin sings her lullaby. Joy, joy for Christ is born. The babe, the son of man. God, I pray, Lord, that would be the song of our hearts. That our loving hearts would enthrone him. God, if there's anyone here this morning that doesn't know you, that has loved the beautiful things that you have made more than you, that if they did not exist in you, wouldn't even exist at all. If there's anyone here that needs to enthrone Christ as Lord and Savior, trust him this moment, friend. Cry out to him. Say, God, save me. I've been trusting my own strength, my own competence. I've had different kings in my life, things ruling me, ordering me around that I need to crash to the ground. So God, I pray, Lord, I trust that Jesus Christ is the only one that I can trust to be my Lord because he died for me and loves me. So confess him. Jesus, your Lord, your Savior, who died in my place so that I could live with you forever in your kingdom of grace. Friend, if that's you, you are in the hand of Christ. And nothing will separate you from the love of God. God, thank you for that. Thank you that Christmas morning was the, the inauguration of this kingdom of grace. How we love you. Bless the rest of our time together in Jesus' name. Amen.